0: Bud Light sales are down 21% in April, and to date, this this boycott has cost Anheuser-Busch more than $5 billion. And this the girl is, that ran this promotion, did she get a raise? Did they can her? They did. Okay. So... That's reasonable, I think, for anybody who loses $5 billion. Like I'm lost sorry $5 billion. I
1: misplaced $5 billion
0: of your dollars. Right. People had a moral stance on an issue that was important to them, and they took it to Bud Light, and Bud Light is now bending over backwards to try and go win back their lost uh, fans. And so in some ways, it seems like it worked. So as, as believers who we have lots of opinions that run contrary to the cultural... Uh, flow. Uh, should we be boycotting? Should we, Is this a, is this the new model of commerce for us?
1: Hi, I'm Steve. For nearly 30 years I've been a pastor and disciple maker
0: and what I really love doing is helping guys be better followers of Christ and better leaders at home. I'm Mark, a certified financial planner with an MBA and an Ivy League degree who wants to make sure you're making the smartest money decisions possible.
1: And this is Abraham's Wallet. Join us weekly and create a culture in your family of multi-generational prosperity, spiritually, relationally, physically, intellectually, and financially. Run your home, your dough, like a biblical boss.
0: Bud Light, best-selling beer in America. Did you know that? I did not. Best-selling beer in America had a marketer that decided, you know what, we should try to expand our brand, appeal to new audiences. And they paid this, this fella, Dylan Mulvaney, um, who identifies as a woman to represent their beer. They made a special can with Dylan Mulvaney's picture on it. Uh, and there was quite a few Americans, uh, who did not like that. You you, you may not know this, but Bud Light's audience skews a little bit uh, conservative and Southern, and um, they're, they're not necessarily your most progressive slice of the American pie. And so they did not like this and decided to boycott Bud Light um, and even to expand that boycott to everything in the Anheuser-Busch beer catalog but this one so far has been a smashing success for the uh, boycotters.
1: You know, I get a lot of humor. Uh, you know, God bless your efforts. I appreciate them, Mark. But I get a lot of humor out of you You working your way through coughs. I don't know if the rest of our audience is as sensitive <laughs> to that as I am, but you well, rarely will stop a word and you kind of suppress, suppress coughs while you. you're talking
0: in the era in the age of covid this is just going to be a feature of our podcast once every six (laughs) months is that mark will have a cough and Uh, we got to deal with it so i appreciate your grace
1: it often sounds like early stage parkinson's but i have a lot of grace for that as well so okay anyhow
0: oh man if we don't step in it in this episode there's so many places we can go that could get us kicked off of youtube so we're gonna do our best let me give you some stats on this boycott. I'm listening. Uh, Bud Light sales are down twenty-one percent in April. And to date, this this boycott has cost Anheuser Busch more than five billion dollars. Um and so And the girl is, that
1: ran this promotion, did she get a
0: raise? Did they can her? They did. Okay. So that's reasonable, I think, for anybody who loses five billion dollars, although, you know. Two thousand seven, two thousand eight. That's just called being a rank and file employee at Goldman <laughs> Sachs. Like <laughs> I'm lost sorry, five I billion. misplaced
1: five billion of your dollars.
0: Right, right. Um, so that's kind of the stats. And what I I think I wanted to to chop it up over is a lot of people are asking. Well, this seems like people had a moral stance on an issue that was important to them, and they they. Took it to Bud Light, and Bud Light is now bending over backwards to try and go win back their lost uh, fans. And so, in some ways, it seems like it worked. So, the, as, as believers who we have lots of opinions that run contrary to the cultural uh, flow, uh, should we be boycotting? Should we, is this a is this the new model of commerce for us? Because <laughs> one of the things we do here at Abraham's Wallet is try to help people figure out what should they do with their money and if they can affect change in a giant corporation's moral stances uh maybe that's a good thing or is it is it a fool's errand and does it just end up jacking up your grocery bill
1: well we also try to equip people for leading their families so taking a loud mouth sorry that's part of boycotting but taking a loud mouth stance on something And leading your family into those waters, it certainly does create a kind of culture in one's home. So yeah, we're trying to take all of that on board as we address this question.
0: I grew up in Dallas in in the 80s, and just part of evangelical mega Baptist church culture for me was that there was always something that my, specifically my mom, was boycotting that was just a part of our our family (laughs) culture um and i'll never forget sitting on the couch or listening she she wasn't
1: boycotting the high price of beanie babies was she because she was all she was always in on
0: that always in on the beanie babies someday those will all be mine and maybe i'll (laughs) donate them to the abraham's Walt podcast
1: oh my word Um, we could turn those into stock options it'd be incredible
0: yeah but I have a distinct memory of her calling the local AMC movie theater because they ran some movie about Jesus that was unfavorable.
1: The Last Temptation of Christ.
0: Yes. And wearing them out on the phone and saying, I will never step foot in your theater again. She held to it for a solid eight months. And then, you know, something good enough came on that we were like, yeah, it's the closest theater. We should probably go back. Uh, (laughs) But But uh, there, were, there were a lot of boycotts of, of various sorts that happened in my family. Was that a part of your, your scene as a no. as a youth? No. Roger Manuel was not a boycotter.
1: Neither of my parents would have any time for somebody getting their dander up about something as perfunctory and tertiary as what the movies are showing down at the movie house. That would never enter their minds. They wouldn't even be aware of something so pop-culturally. They'd be like, we're we're running our lives. Good luck out there.
0: Okay. And so then I back up and say you've you've clearly heard about this story, Stephen. What what has been your initial reaction to the the kind of boycott in the news right now and and then I'd love to hear you know how you're responding. Have you have you cut all Bud Light out of your life? <laughs> I
1: think as I've seen this story unfold, I think I did an eye roll uh when i saw that they're trying to they uh, again it's not they it's not the giant company that lost 5 billion dollars it was this one marketing girl um who who we learned after the fact had an axe to grind specifically much like other organizations she wanted to poke the eye of of regular old guys <laughs> she she did she she wanted to offend uh regular american men that that's what she was after and she she did good so when i saw that campaign being touted um i rolled my eyes thinking this is what i think about so much of this stuff is that these companies they don't have a morality they're not that it's not that they're flexing their muscles because they believe in something um I've seen people doing a lot of hand-wringing over uh, Target who they're going to be rolling out their rainbow everything and shoving it down our ever-living throats for most of the summer. Um, and and a lot of companies will fall in line with that and and would you like to know why they're doing that? Because they think there's money behind it. They they're they're going fishing for fad dollars. This is this is a this is a cultural fad and they want to be behind it. So I roll my eyes going like I think of Bud Light not not necessarily being immoral like I'm outraged. Oh, these good people they've changed into some I just roll my eyes going they're amoral. They don't think anything. They'll think any they'll think anything ever. Um so uh I have had a little bit of um schadenfreude as i've watched them lose money over this and of course there's a part of me that kind of goes well good um, i like that move costing them something but what are they coming back to i mean is oh finally a bud light will proclaim the truth of our lord and savior no they're not doing that what, what are they doing <laughs> they're just going back to their please get drunk on friday nights out in a cornfield with your buddies that's what we would like for you to do with our product is that moral? Do I believe in that? No. So I'd made the decision to keep on never once buying Bud Light. So that's affected yeah, my life.
0: It is a little interesting to have this conversation because for the listener who may not know this, uh, it once in a while I show up in Cincinnati at the manual household and I'll buy a six pack of beer and I'll drink a couple of them while I'm while I'm at the manual household. Then I'll go back to Utah, and I'll come back to the manual household. I don't know six months later, and I'll have a couple more from the six pack because there's still four left. Um, yes. there's there's not a lot of beer drinking going on uh, at your home, so there's, this isn't, there's
1: no beer drinking happening at my home. This isn't
0: really a uh, uh, issue that has personally impacted you, but um, can I can I review a few boycotts that have been in the news in the past? I'm all ears. So? Educate me, okay? Why don't we play a quiz game like Family Feud style? Name Why not? a boycott that you remember from the from the relatively recent past. Let's not go all the way back to you know uh, the civil rights movement, but but relatively can you, recent. Can you give me a category? Um, sure. How about food? Fast food. Yep.
1: Uh, is it when all of
0: the progressives got mad at Chick-fil-A? Ding. You are right. Chick-fil-A. Now, do you think that was a successful or a failed boycott in terms of how it impacted the company's bottom line? I I
1: am willing to hand over money across the internet to you right now to bet that it was not effective.
0: Right. So Chick-fil-A actually made money off of that deal. Had to have. Um... How about in the world of sports? This is like Family Feud where I'm gonna now a- add some color. What let's think about a particular Afroed uh quarterback from the oh. 49ers.
1: Was that a boycott? Um it's the Colin Kaepernick. He he wants the right to be bad at football but be rewarded for it.
0: <laughs> yeah, so he said a lot of things about the league. <laughs> And ended up taking a knee during the the national anthem. There's things like that going on. I don't know if you could call it a boycott, but a lot of people stopped watching football. So viewership was down about 10% that year. So from a pure metric standpoint, this might be considered a successful boycott, meaning it did impact uh, the NFL's bottom line in the year that that was going on in the news. A couple others just to throw out at you. Do you remember the BP oil spill? People tried to boycott BP. They were unable to do it because gas is really expensive. And when you run out of gas, you just have to get gas. So I'm sorry. I remember the Exxon Valdez. I don't remember BP. BP was the Gulf Coast where they pumped a ton of oil out of their floating oil rig there. We covered Ann Parrott's uh, boycott of AMC. At Preston and Arapahoe. Yes. So I think that, that I- made
1: headlines across the country. That was a big, pretty big deal.
0: Here was an interesting one. Do you remember when uh, Trump got, got really excited about Goya beans? I don't know the details of this one. But I do. Goya beans. There was what they call a boycott and a boycott at the same time where we had two opposing groups. One saying, we'll never buy Goya beans again. And the other one saying we're buying all the Goya beans we can get our hands on.
1: Again, I'm ready to hand over money to say that Goya did quite well in that deal.
0: Goya did quite well in that deal, mainly because unlike the successful boycotts, um, the problem here was that you had a product that the people who were boycotting didn't use in the first place. So they didn't have a lot of leverage to uh, cut their consumption (laughs) out. The, The progressives of America were not exactly... Goya's number one customer when it came (laughs) to black bean sales
1: true true
0: um and then you had the pro Goya crowd who was also not a major consumer of Goya products but became for a short time a major consumer of Goya products so that That would include
1: me that would
0: include me okay I know we don't have to get into it I just bought I'm just saying
1: personally I went out and looked for Goya beans and purchased them
0: All right. Um, So that's kind of a little overview of the history of how boycotts have have fared. So, as I looked through these, the history of boycotts in the United States, I did see a pattern when I looked at ones that had been particularly successful. Um, And the, the pattern that I noticed is typically the boycott didn't have a huge financial impact on a company. I'd say the Anheuser-Busch deal is kind of an exception in that regard. Right. But what we saw often going all the way back to the civil rights movement is that there would be boycotts or people would call for a boycott uh, and that would lead to a ton of buzz and news media and political attention. And then there would be a political Uh, efforts to actually enact some change um and so you know because it was at the front of people's minds whether they were even participating in the boycott or not politicians said i can grab onto this issue and i can push a law through that's going to change something in in the world of whatever this this boycott is centering on Um, and that has been uh an actual way that change has come. Uh, you know, you might have seen that in Florida. There's been a lot of ballyhoo in Ron DeSantis's Florida between him and Disney. And we could get into all the details there. But the, the gist is, I don't think that Disney has suffered much at the hands of conservatives who didn't like their political opinions trying to boycott them. But what I do think has happened is that you've gotten politicians that have started locking horns with that big company, and maybe cutting out some of their subsidies, making it a little bit harder for them. Whether that's a good or a bad thing, we could discuss, but um, that seems to be the way that that society actually feels the impact of some of this, is that boycotts generate news, which generates occasionally political change. Okay, I'm going to
1: use this as an opportunity to cut in, and I would like to inject a little Bible to this conversation because our question isn't, (laughs) are boycotts possible? And our question isn't even, are boycotts effective? Um, The question is, is this something that a Christian should be participating in? If you are a biblical boss, is it contingent upon you to be feeling out all the time? Are all of the organizations and institutions in society, are they all acting right? And if they're not acting right, well, we have a duty that we're only going to give our coffee dollars to the most moral coffee thing, and we're only going to give our jeans dollars to the most, the most biblical jeans company and all that stuff. Is that what we're taking on? Because there is there was an unspoken insinuation in, in some parts when there was like this moral majority kind of thing happening in America. That's what your mom was kind of feeling yes. is this Rush Limbaugh kind of. Uh, th- responsibility. We have this moral risk. If you're a moral American, then you should you know, participate in change everywhere, blah, 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 which is a very American idea. But I would like to put forward a couple of biblical principles real quick. Can we do that? Let's have it. I'm going to go upstream a little bit. You're going to have to trust me for a second, and then I'm going to land at answering this question. So th- there are a couple of places where I- I'm going to go to Paul because... um Paul lives in a world where Christianity is infecting a lost society. So he has things to say about the way that a a family's Christian culture intersects with pagan, ugly wickedness. That, for instance... Jesus doesn't talk about, because that's not really Jesus' MO, is trying to help you figure out how to live in a lost world. He just wants you to understand the gospel and get in and out of the kingdom. It's not something that Old Testament people were talking about. They're talking about Israel. They're talking about, this is supposed to be a holy society, so you guys shape it up. Paul is talking to a specific kind of person, a kind of person that we are, so very helpful to hear from him, and he, and he addresses this kind of scenario a couple times, All right. There's a passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and it says, catch this, and you're going to, as I'm reading this, you're going to say, that's not what we're talking about. And I know that already. We're, just let me, let me, give me some time. He says, do not associate with any so-called Christian brother if he is sexually immoral or greedy, if he's an idolater, the uh, uh, Amplified says that means devoted to anything that takes the place of God or is a reviler who insults or slanders or otherwise verbally abuses others, or is a drunkard or a swindler, somebody that cheats other people. You must not so much as eat with such a person. So this is talking about, he said this right in the first sentence, don't associate with a so-called Christian brother who, and then he goes on. He's talking specifically about the way that we interact with people who, proclaim themselves to be believers. So th- in my mind, this goes back to a conversation that I've had with Jeff on Abraham's Wallet regarding who are our people and I've had rather public fallouts with a number of people over a number of issues. Uh, for instance, there's a cult in in Cincinnati. I've had falling out with them, opposing them. There's a guy, there's kind of a public figure in Cincinnati who says pornography is not a sin, and he's encouraged his unmarried minor children to experiment sexually. I've had fallouts with him publicly, et cetera. And we're supposed to have these kinds of moments. I just read you that verse. We're supposed to. Um, and people who refuse to have enemies of any kind are people who love the praise of men rather than love the praise of God. That's a, that's just a biblical principle. It's something that we stand on. We believe that an Abrahamic man should have the right kinds of enemies and he should have the right kinds of friends. And we, we we've spent time trying to help people to do both. Um, so we have to be, the principle I want to put forward is that we have to be people if we're going to follow uh, Christ, we we have to be people who are unafraid of public scorn as an important principle. So we avoid just to recap what we've already looked at. We avoid self-proclaiming Christians who have unbiblical practices regarding sexuality, integrity. I mean, both both greed um, and being a, a scoundrel are both mentioned in that passage. Uh, worship, that is, if they're idolaters, and self-control, whether you're a verbally abusive person, you can't control yourself uh, with regards to violence, et cetera. So uh, this is all strong language, and that means that we we have to do a lot of maintenance with our relationships. We might have to. Um, I've done this, and I don't have to tell those stories right now, where you see a friend and you kind of go, I think somebody on my inner circle is violating one of these things. I guess we have to have a talk. Yes, you do. So, but everything that I just said, none of it is about, uh, none of it is about the world. It's all about self proclaiming Christians. If we go two verses just prior to what I read, this is 1 Corinthians 5 9, and it says, do not associate with sexually immoral people. Now, I don't mean immoral people of this world or the greedy and the swindlers or idolaters of this world because then you would have to get out of the world and human society altogether it stands to reason that if somebody doesn't worship God with their lives they worship a false god uh, bob dylan tells us all that we were all going we're all made to serve somebody you're going to worship something with your life which is true and so if, so they worship false gods i got neighbors all around me that worship false gods am i supposed to not talk with them paul says no 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 we're only talking about people who who proclaim that they're Followers of Christ, people who are of the world and don't know God, well, you shouldn't hold them to a standard of following God. So, here's, here's a, therefore, we don't have to hold unbelievers to believing standards. What a relief. We don't have to go, they should do more of this. Why don't they have the same convictions I do? Why don't they clean up their language? How could they put that on a movie screen? Etc. etc. There's a whole lot of hand-wringing that happens because we lament the decay of American society, which we know biblically is going to happen. That's what societies do. They decay. Again, very different reaction to very different groups. End of this passage. I'm going to I'll finish my little soliloquy after this. Uh, I've read four verses. I'm going to read the last two in this section. First Corinthians five. For what business is it of mine to judge outsiders, that is, non-believers? Don't you judge those who are within the church to protect the church as the situation requires? God alone sits in judgment on those who are outside the faith. But remove the wicked from among you and expel them from inside the church. So we have this very... A tight filter that we're that we're evaluating. It's not like we're judging those around us when we go to the church house, but we have this expectation that those who say that we are disciples, that we would live as if we're devoted disciples and worshipers. Everybody who's not part of our crew, what 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 kind of expectations do we have on them? Do we expect them to have wonderful families? No. Do we expect them to have perfect integrity in their business dealings? No. Um, so, now we get to, well, what do we do with people who there are such thing as really moral people out in the world that deal well with business, and there's people who are really immoral with business. So, that takes us to the question of how do we treat outsiders, okay? So, what do you think?
0: The only place I might push on you a little bit okay. is... That some of what I'm going to put forward as our answer to the question of how do we use our money is to talk about actually building things that last and uh, investing into uh, not only our our families, but our society and uh, taking dominion, if you will, uh, you know, yeah. the the... The Christian nationalism debate rages on in the the world of Christian Twitter, uh, and I'm not interested in it. But one thing I am interested in is um, pushing forward organizations, companies, institutions that are going to have a positive impact. So I don't know. I, I got a little bit nervous when you said, well, we just know the whole world's going to fall apart uh, because I think that we do have a mandate to go out and... Uh, take dominion uh, for the kingdom. So maybe maybe that's a little place where we disagree. I know we've you've done a whole podcast on that topic with Mark Douglas that was a, a great conversation.
1: Okay, well, Bud Light is being effectively boycotted. But for instance, have you bought a Bud Light since this stuff has happened? No. Have you taken have you uh, taken up a picket sign? No. Have you been posting and yelling at people in the public about let's not buy Bud Light? No. Okay. So it, it's been effectively boycotted, but very few people I have to say are actually taking up arms and we're se- trying to do a rallying cry. There might be some public figures doing that. Um, nobody in my town is no, no I don't hear anybody saying anything about Bud Light, but I presume among historical Bud Light buyers they're probably being shy about that brand. Um I would just say th- that's capitalism. So if they change their brand to a light pink and and change their mountains, the men of the mountains drink Coors Light or whatever they're what don't they have a mountain on a Bud Light can?
0: I think that's Coors.
1: What's what's Bud Light have on it? A, a, scroll, uh, a scrolling. it's This is the German history of beer, right? No, That's it's a thing.
0: transsexual. Is what's on the can. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Whatever they have, if they change their colors to light pink and put daisies and use the Comic Sans script, there were people would start walking away from that brand. And it's just about capitalism, which is we simply don't prefer that brand. For, you know, if they change their Coca-Cola did this where they changed their um, formula and the whole world went, we don't have a moral problem with you. We don't like the taste of what you're doing now. So they walk away. So it's an interesting thing to, to be caught in something that, you know, if you change, if you don't go to a grocery store because the produce is bad, you don't call it a boycott. You just right. shop somewhere else. And so, what we're seeing the effects of of capitalism, which I think is pretty normal, but it's very American. Now, this is the this is the point that I would like to make about boycotts. I've walked a long distance to say this. Okay, we have the freedom in this country to boycott or avoid something if we want to. Um, in theory, we do. And I just here's what I want to say: that should never be taken as a biblical liberty. The fact that you can choose whatever you want, you can choose this brand or not that brand. You can even say, I don't like the spokesman that they chose, so I'm not going to use them anymore. I don't know. I don't like Gatorade ads that have humongous people on them exercising in tight clothes. I'm not crazy about that. I don't think I'm going to buy that brand right now. Okay, knock yourself out. That's not a biblical choice. That is a capitalism choice that you have made. What troubles me is when people try to shroud themselves somehow in Christianity and, and make a capitalism choice and try to decorate it with crosses. That troubles me. But I've gotten caught in something that's happened on Twitter because a dude um, s- stated an opinion about what he thinks of women wearing yoga pants, and then he made a declaration that this is a Christian principle, and I represent the Word of God on this. And of course, everybody went bonkers, and this bozo has misapplied um, his personal opinion with biblical principles, because most of kind of active morality out there when it comes to, well, how much food can we eat? How much could we weigh? How much is is too much to spend on luxury? What can you wear in public? Those kinds of things can't, now I'm going to, I know this is going to get dicey. Can a, can a man wear makeup? Sure. Hold on a second. Whoa. What, well, th- this is actually an amoral question. If you want, if a man put, could a man paint his fingernails? I know what that signifies culturally. I I know how I feel about it, but let's not change my opinion to saying this is a biblical idea. A lot of these are in the area of personal opinion. Yeah.
0: Totally agree with the the statement you made, but can I ask a clarifying question because well, I will
1: never allow a clarifying question when I'm in the middle of a lecture.
0: <laughs> I think this is an actual moment that we should plug what the church uh, because if you like this rant, you'll love what the church, but uh, you can decide whether or not you're gonna do that. okay, I think that you're right. There's not a biblical mandate that says, "Don't wear yoga pants, but we certainly find a biblical mandate that a uh, Christian would conduct themselves in public with modesty. And we could even make uh, declarations about specific things that we would say that is definitively not modest. So where does that fall in your uh, in your uh, calculus when it comes to what is saying, hey, the Bible doesn't say this word. However, it clearly contains principles. And sometimes, as believers, we're going to disagree over where the lines fall.
1: Yeah, this is exactly what this ding-dong has done is cross the the very line you're describing, which is he has taken a personal conviction. Okay, here's the biblical principle. Modesty is, is godly. Okay? Now, based on our earlier points I made, Who is constrained by the biblical teaching on modesty? All of us who follow Christ. Those who follow Christ. So this bozo is is one conflating that thing, which he's making a declaration that all women everywhere should conform to a standard of modesty. He's violating 1 Corinthians 5 in that very statement. So it's like saying everybody lost or saved should observe the Sabbath. And I'm disappointed in all my neighbors who don't observe the Sabbath. That, that's, that goes against the principle that we just laid out. So that, that's the first thing that he's doing wrong. The second thing that he's doing wrong is all questions of... of uh, that are debatable matters. I have another passage that I'm trying to omit for time, but I'd love to talk about another passage is 2 Corinthians 6. When we get into debatable matters is that we have to, we, he could, I would have no problem if this man stated his opinion and said, for me, my wife and I have decided this is where we stand on the morality. I mean, uh, modesty issue. There it is world. That's not what he did. Right. He, he does not release anyone else to deal with their convictions. He describes an arbitrary statement. It really is arbitrary to say, this is the where we've drawn the line. Now, everyone is accountable to me based on the arbitrary line that I've drawn, which the line that he draws would not be modest 50 years ago, nor would it be modest 500 years ago, but he's declared that where he draws the line is the word of God. I think that's very unwise.
0: Yeah. And just so that I don't, I don't know how many people cross over um, our audience and this particular person's audience. uh, But I would say it's interesting because we agree with the guy on so many things. And um, I even
1: agree with where he drew the line.
0: Yeah. You even agreed with the statement. It was just uh, the imposition across others. I think that what you're saying is really interesting because it changes the the conversation on what should we boycott to it's on each father that's listening to this podcast right now that would consider themselves a follower of Christ to, to say you better draw those lines in your household. And you better draw them long before the uh, enemy is pressing you back and you're trying to draw it while you retreat. Uh, You you should have them drawn so that it's obvious we won't be crossing this line. There's things coming up. I never would have thought uh, that I would, you know, in my own family boycott Netflix uh, because they were going to put up videos that sexualized kids. I didn't think that was that wasn't on my radar. I hadn't drawn and said, okay, family, when they make sex videos about kids, that's when we will unsubscribe because I didn't ever have that on my radar. Right. But we did have a pretty clear understanding of how we think uh, about content and appropriate content that could come into our house. I don't boycott Apple because they have movies that I object to uh, available for sale, but I'm not going to pay for a company that's going to actually create and produce content that I'm effectively paying for. So for me, that was a clear one. I also don't walk into somebody's house that has Netflix and go, "Wow, these people don't love the Lord." <laughs> right, exactly right. So, so I think that's a great example. So I, I've actually
1: done it's. It's not because there's a Abe's Wallet uh, moral stance on this, but I just happen to have done the same thing, which is I got Netflix out of my house. I don't want that, but I have Amazon Prime in my house. I'm sure if you look if you're really out to find something vile, I'm sure you can find it. Um, and if somebody wanted to, if there was a morality police that wanted to come into my house and shake their finger, I, they probably could find something on, on Amazon prime that would be offensive. So we've all got to, we've all got to do our own conscious. So I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to throw out my, my principles. My, this is my, I, I've got four therefore's okay uh, that i think are our marching orders and then you can tell us what what can we do about it okay okay so my proposal is that number 1 we live in the second corinthians 6 principle on debatable matters with other believers that is are you allowed to go into target during the month of june knowing that when you walk in the door you're going to have rainbows all over the place and your kids are going to see rainbows can you go into that store? I can't find that verse that says that you cannot. So, you might think that it's a wisdom issue, maybe it's wise to avoid those things. I will be I will be avoiding Target. That's just it's one of it's like Netflix to me. It's offensive to me. I don't want my children to see that stuff, so I'll avoid it. Will I am I going to get on Abe's wallet and say we should not have families that go to Target. Let's all sign a petition. I'm not doing that. So we have to have the Second Corinthians thing on a debatable matter. We give each other grace. Number two, we—I st- believe this is part of it—is that we have to step up our First Corinthians five game on clear issues. Like we have to separate ourselves from compromise. Can somebody have Netflix in their home? Okay, maybe that's debatable. I, I don't—I have an opinion about that, but can they? Okay, maybe they can. Can they also? Um, Encourage their children to be watching uh, vile stuff that actively corrodes their character and morality. No, we have commands about that sort of thing. So if I walk into my friend's home and I see the kids doing that, I'm gonna turn to my friend and go, "What's happening here?" And now we're gonna start having an uncomfortable conversation. So we we have to have, give grace to debatable matters on un- matters that are clear we have to be willing to step in. These are about personal relationships inside the church family. I hope I have made that crystal clear. Number three, this is the whole point of 1 Corinthians 5, we have to release the world to be worldly. Knock yourselves out, people. Drink it down. And it might grieve me, it might grieve me to see lost people acting lost, loving lostness, and getting more lost by the moment. There's a lot of great passages that talk about that, uh, the the pain of even witnessing that happening. It is happening around us right now, and it's grievous. And yet, you know what? I'm not trying to prevent them from doing what they're going to do. They, they, I release them to be lost. The fourth thing is never violate your own conscience. So, it would, it would it would be a violation of my conscience to feel like I'm contributing to what, I'm sorry for giving this, maybe it's a lazy example, but I don't want to feel like I'm contributing to what Target is doing specifically to children and families. So I I'm just not going to give them my dollars. I'm not going to make a big post about it. Let's make a big petition about it. But I'm not going to violate my own conscience. So... I think those are principles that we can live by
0: yeah i love that i think it's good advice i want to turn for a minute to so what do we do in the marketplace as believers because right you know you said i i I liked thinking about it you said that as christians we're not going to turn to the world and shake our finger at them and say you have to observe the sabbath But what I thought of is is Psalm 19, when you said that, which says the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. It doesn't actually mean exclusively that it revives the soul for those who would acknowledge his kingship. Um, It's good. So I know, for example, with that example of the Sabbath, that if I was going to set up a country that the P and I was the king the people under me would flourish if they had a day off once out of every seven. Fact. Um, and that's, we, we could do a whole episode. We probably have on, on that particular fact, but humans were created for having a Sabbath on the exact rhythm that is prescribed in the scriptures. Yes, uh, They do better. And there's a lot of things like that where, you know, even the, the world gets to experience common grace through, uh, living in a way that lines up with with the Lord's design for human flourishing. Um, I think about, this might sound like a real zag to you, but I think about Twitter and what it had become for a while up until very recently. I wasn't interested in Twitter because if you said anything on that platform that did not uh, meet the strict rules of, uh, social consciousness and political correctness in a very certain line, you were going to be kicked out. And True. sort of, it, it was really clear. You can't say anything along the lines of many of the things we've said on this podcast. <laughs> yes. And somebody who I don't think has any relationship with with Jesus, uh, which would be Elon Musk, came in and said, I actually think free speech is good. Uh, And he used his money to purchase it and say, I'm opening it up so that you can just communicate freely here. I think that was a net good and that the world actually became a better place because somebody uh, created, if you will, uh, in this case, purchased a business and changed it uh, to operate in a fashion that allowed people to express themselves honestly in in more open ways. And I think what we could take from that as believers is that there is an opportunity for us to create things that are better because we know the king. And if we're going to uh, create a financial planning business, we can do it in a way that lines up with the way that the king would want us to handle money and coach people and organize families. And whether people, you know, we have a lot of clients in our financial planning business who follow Christ and they love it that we get to share kind of that. But we have a lot of people that we serve who don't follow Christ and they're not interested in our in our religion uh, stuff. And I would say they also benefit from a business that is built around the way that God has uh, ordained for his people to handle money and deal honestly and uh, have relationships with each other. Even, even I get to kind of like drop in, hey, maybe consider running your household like this. It will make you happier. Uh, and that right. that's, again, kind of common grace that gets extended outside of the covenant of, of the, our relationship with Christ, just because people go, oh, this is an interesting life hack I've found that if you, you know, set your household up in a way that lines up with scriptural principles, you're happier. Um, so, building good things to me always trumps opposing bad things um, that doesn't mean we're supposed to just roll over and say oh the bad things are just an inevitability uh, I still affirm all four of your your guiding principles for how we deal with uh, ungodly marketplace but I would say whenever you find yourself just drummed up about all the the ungodly junk that you see in the world and maybe you're you're uh, tempted to go out and grab the picket sign and boycott, uh, consider funneling some of that energy into building something better. And maybe, yeah, that's great. maybe maybe the Lord is calling you to create a company that does whatever uh, that you're w- riled up about that, that operates according to his principles. Uh, yeah, that's right. I don't, I don't think it's impossible that there's people listening to us talk on this podcast that are going to create things that are way bigger than they expected. And they they don't have to just be Christian businesses that have a little niche of we serve Christians. They could actually be businesses that are better for everybody who touches them, regardless of they whether they know Christ or whether they disagree with you politically or religiously or whatever, because you're just operating them in a way that lines up with the King's principles. That's right. Um, and, I mean, the question that I think at the end of the day, everybody's been waiting for um, is not how do I you know, start the next Anheuser-Busch in a kingdom fashion or how do I avoid Target uh, without condemning everyone at my church who shops there after church on Sunday? It's really how much is this going to cost me now that I'm switching from Bud Light? Uh, so <laughs> I, th- I thought I'd throw in one little tidbit of uh, personal budget analysis before we bid our audience farewell and fabulous i looked up the price of a six-pack of bud light you don't you don't shop for beer like we talked about earlier so i thought it'd be fun steven how much do you think a six-pack of bud light <laughs> costs right now
1: <laughs> this is terrible no, i, I, no I, I don't know. let's say let's say a can of beer costs 250 and so let's say that there's a deal if you buy six and so it costs 12
0: bucks okay a six pack of bud light right now based on the published price at total total wine i think is where i found their price list for everything five dollars and 29 cents
1: for a six Uh, pack of beer
0: yeah that's right um
1: is that normal or are they trying to unload it
0: uh, that's a, th- this, this price list was published about a year ago. So it was a PDF. Wow. All the prices. It might Is be a little normal? out of date. You can't buy a six pack of Coke for $5. Can you? Um, yeah, you can buy a 12 pack of Coke for that much. Okay. We also um,
1: don't buy those. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't know. Yeah.
0: I don't buy Bud Light, so I don't know. I I did think that sounded low. Um,
1: I'm amazed. These are great deals, everybody. Go buy beer and Cokes because these are good deals.
0: Is now the time to announce that this episode has been sponsored? No, I'm just (laughs) kidding. Um,
1: Why not? Let's say it. Let's tell them. um, We are part of their effort to get back the old uh, clientele, and that's us.
0: Right. Um, A a six-pack of craft beer um will cost oh, you craft, all the- uh,
1: craft mac and cheese beer. It's pretty no, good. This would
0: be uh micro brews. So I oh. just I I just took an average of of the micro brews available and came to $7.49 for a six pack of small brewery created beer. Now, That's a I'm great not trying deal. To, I'm not trying to tell people go out and buy a bunch of beer, but what I did think is this is actually a probably a pretty decent proxy for you have something made in mass by a huge company that can make it really cheap. And then on the other hand, you've got something made by mostly small companies where you could actually find one that, hey, my values aligned with that company. Now, whether your values would ever align with a company that makes beer, maybe not. Uh, but we could imagine that the this 41% markup is maybe pretty representative of what it would cost to do that with your craft uh, mac and cheese, for example. What if I went from yeah. the the big mac and cheese manufacturer that can make it really cheap to a small company that maybe I could read up and say, oh, I like their their values. Um, 41% if we wanted to, to run with that. On the average American's grocery budget, that increase is going to be 441 bucks a month if we did it across the board with everything. Um, and so that's, that's not chump change for most families to think about a $441 price increase. But um, I thought it was an interesting data point. If you wanted to go uh, small with all of the production on your grocery budget, my unscientific study would say it probably costs about 450 bucks a month to, uh, to do that, plus a whole lot of research and maybe even going out and meeting some farmers so that you could buy things from people who you said, I- I'm lined up with these folks.
1: I like your conclusion, which is if you see something horrible in the world that irks you. Um, instead of ranting and shaking your fist at the world, why don't you uh, consider building something that you find to be moral and upright and that does the public good as opposed to the public evil?
0: Yeah. Do you follow the Daily Wire at all? Not really. They're very right-wing political commentary stuff. But yeah. I guess there was something about harry's razors i don't know if it was lgbt or if it was great example politics. great example um, but one of the guys that owns the daily wire didn't like it and so he decided we're gonna make our own razor company and they created a. I i think it's a basically exactly the same thing with different values now i was all about it i was like i'm gonna buy for some razors from these guys and then they they launched with this video with these girls in Bikinis walking around. Totally, I was like, these aren't my people at all. So I I didn't buy their razors. But um, I like the the idea, which is, if we see something we don't like, instead of boycotting and organize, let's not all buy Harry's razors. They just said, let's make something that that is better.
1: Well, you mentioned Twitter before, and I think that we would anybody who's older. This is a fact. If you're older, you're you're with me on this. If you're over the age of 35, you lament the increasing compromise of media, of media outlets from the New York Times on down. And I keep thinking, well, who's just going to make who's just going to make a, a a network that feels like CBS from 30 years ago where they just tell you the news and they don't try to spin it any way, they just tell you the news. And there's a there's a place there, and some morally upright per- person is going to insert themselves in that space, and I and I look forward to it.
0: Yeah, I, is that going to be part of the Abraham's Wallet Media Empire? Is the the modern day equivalent of Walter Cronkite reading you the headlines each night? Yes, that'll be great. We just have to find that guy. All right, if you're out there and you want to. Uh, what's that podcast going to be called? <laughs> it's you going you
1: to uh, be called The Daily News with and then
0: that person's name. And that person just needs to bring us a global network of field reporters so that we can actually tell you what the heck's happening. But Yeah,
1: and if you can run a newsroom, that would help a lot too.
0: Yeah, so... That's a good time to mention that if you would like to donate to Abraham's Wallet, you can go to abrahamswallet.com and uh, contribute to the vision of what we're building here, which today is a podcast that is training men to run their homes and their dough like a biblical boss. But tomorrow it might be a multi-billion dollar media empire and you could be in on the ground floor. So, who knows?
1: If you liked this content, be sure to like it and subscribe and share it with somebody. And remember no matter how you're doing and leading your family, God's love for you is huge. And His grace is.
0: Planet! Planet! Planet!